0: multi-ethnic DNA. And when you, when you start to have those relationships with people, now you have a name that's connected to what might have been earlier an issue.
1: Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. When you look at the divisions in our world today, especially divisions around race and politics, I don't know about you, but it's easy to lose heart. Well, by looking back to the first century when the church was founded, what you see is a world that was even more fractured than the world that we see around us today. In fact, there was deep racial religious, ethnic animosity that existed across lots of lines in the ancient world. And yet, through the gospel, there was an incredible community that was created, the community of the New Testament church. And it was the kind of place where Paul could write, now in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Today, I get the chance uh, to share with you a conversation I had with Santis Beatty, Santis is a leader in the Wesleyan Church, someone who helps with multi-ethnic ministries and gives leadership in that area. He's a proven minister. And we're going to talk about the, the way that the gospel brings people together in a way that nothing else can. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, so I'm sitting here with Santis, baby. Santis, so good to have you here, brother. Great
0: to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you taking time. I know you're busy. Mm-hmm. We're at a conference here together. I know you got some sessions to do, some teaching to do. Man. You're rolling around. And uh, you serve right now as the director of multi-ethnic ministries for the, for the Wesleyan Church. I know that's where you've landed. That's what you're doing right now. Why don't you share a little bit just about, I know you have a rich background in pastoral ministry in the church. Tell tell us a little bit about your ministry journey and what got you to where you are today.
0: Yeah, I grew up in a a house of uh, two ministers. Uh, my, My father was a pastor. Mom was in ministry. Gave my life to Christ at 12. Uh, Recommitted at 22, and I found myself, uh, after graduating from a small Quaker college in uh, North Carolina, uh, Guilford College, ended up working there and felt a call to ministry, was a um, higher ed administrator doing uh, racial reconciliation work, diversity training. A multicultural education, but then became this uh, youth pastor at a predominantly black Baptist church. So okay. at one level, I'm at this predominantly white Quaker school, but then uh, I'm serving as the uh, youth pastor at this predominantly black church in the inner city of Greensboro. And so it was these two worlds didn't really want to coexist, right? right? One didn't really want to talk about faith. The other really didn't want to talk about racial reconciliation the way I thought it should be. And so it was after then I felt called to Grand Rapids, Michigan to become a pastor, a high school pastor at a church called Kentwood Community Church. The
1: church, a church and, we both know, great, yeah, awesome church, had a, has had a huge impact in our yeah, area. Met, yeah, yeah ministry to a lot of people, very cool.
0: Good, good place, good people, and so was there for four years, part of the teaching team, high school pastor, and uh, really the church was in transition at that time. It had just transitioned pastors. It was transitioning from becoming mono ethnic to becoming multi ethnic, and the the youth group, particularly the, the high school uh, ministry, was probably the last to make that transition. And so,
1: so you were there. You were there for that whole period, I, and um, I. I I mean, obviously, we don't want to get too too far in the weeds on this, but I mean,
0: because
1: yeah. Kenwood Community Church in in our area where we were from was was a known mm-hmm. large megachurch mm-hmm. uh, in, in in a neighborhood that had gone through massive tr- transition. Had, yeah. My wife and I lived in in Kentwood on yeah. Kalamazoo and 60th at oh, Side yeah. Club Apartments, right by
0: the church thing. Yeah, yeah, right
1: by the church, man. Yeah. We'd walk by that. So you were there for that time. Was that was that was that tough?
0: It was it was one of the, it sounded great on paper and yeah. then you 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 uh Uh, are immersed in it and it was probably one of the the more difficult times of ministry i've ever had Mm. but also one of the most beautiful times of ministry right so that's often the way it works and so um so we transitioned i kind of stepped into a role that there were two roles that had been combined kind of a outreach pastor role that did ground zero and ministering to kids after school program and then a youth pastor role that was primarily uh, white the outreach role uh, primarily drew uh, black and african black and african-american kids and and hispanic kids and poor white and so it was these two worlds trying to bring them together like i said it sounded great on paper but it was one of the hardest things but one of the uh, more um transforming and um it helped shape me uh, yeah. in a good way and so in some ways we made a lot of mistakes in other ways we we, we did some really cool things and uh headquarters our um uh, um um you know, some of the leaders in Indianapolis got wind of some of the things we were doing and okay. where we're creating a new position, multi-ethnic ministry. This is for the
1: Wesleyan Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah, so I was there from 2010 to 2014, meaning uh, Kentwood, and then uh, came on staff at... Um, Uh, um, The world headquarters in Indianapolis uh, in 2014 took on this role, new role. And I said to our leaders, if you're looking for just like a diversity guy, like I'm not your I'm not the one. But if you're if you're looking for someone that really wants to build teams and take a team approach at this work um, in our denomination, specifically in North America, then I might be able to help. Do that. And so that's really where the heartbeat was um, that this was not just a diversity issue, but an issue of discipleship and multiplication, you know, specifically looking at the Great Commission. And so we embraced that, dived in, and I really, you know, part of my background is really more entrepreneurial, more starter uh, kind of uh, anointing and and, and role and and giftedness. And so that's really what we've been doing for the last. almost five years now. Uh, doing, Time yeah, flies. But, yeah, yeah, it
1: <laughs> That's incredible. Now, I mean, you've just, you just <laughs> helped us step into what can be a minefield in today's church. I mean, mm. it's like, I think, I, I don't think you can talk to any pastor unless they're just absolutely clueless mm. who doesn't have some sense that we need to do something. Yeah. I mean, the church can't – you know, there's been a whole set of books written over the last few decades mm-hmm. that, that point out just the segregated segregated nature of Sunday yep. morning. Yep. Um, and we there, there have been a thousand different things that have been tried. And, and I, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a sense that loves Jesus and loves the gospel who doesn't want to deal with this issue. Yep. Um, of of racial reconciliation of of looking at how do, how do we how does the church come to reflect our community mm-hmm. these sorts of deep questions which was a key one for Kentwood i mean yep. you were in a radically di- it was a diff- radically different culture than it had mm-hmm. been 30 years or 20 years before that mm-hmm. the, the neighborhood around it changed and the church had to go through something that was not easy not yep. it was painful yeah And you just got us into this conversation Mm -hmm. with a really, I think, important distinction that I want you to unpack for me. You distinguished, I don't want to just be a diversity guy, Um, I want to be a discipleship guy. Mm -hmm. So help us understand that. What is that distinction you're making?
0: Yeah, I think the diversity piece is, is always included, right? It's always there. You're going to have a diverse body of people. Um, and oftentimes, particularly when I was in the collegiate realm and, and in the nonprofit realm, people talk about diversity all the time, right? They talk about this context of uh, being uh, politically correct or understanding how to work with different groups of people, um, uh, understanding culture and things of that nature. I have a I have a background in cultural intelligence training and unconscious bias training and racial reconciliation training, and so that's normal. Um, but what we when we look at scripture, specifically the Great Commission, and we look at uh, the greatest commandment. And so the Great Commission talks distinctly about us going and making, right? Mm-hmm. That as we go, make disciples. But then with the greatest commandment, it talks about love, right? How do we love? Uh, how do we love others? How do we love God? How do we how do we love ourselves? And then you then you um, compare that or or uh, link that with. Uh, what uh, Dave Ferguson calls the Great Commission in John 17, where Jesus is praying that we would be be one. Um, There's a sense in which we go, there's a sense in which we love, and there's a sense in which we do it together. Um, But there's so much in our society that wants us to be uh, separated, that wants us to be fearful of one another, particularly if we have differences of views, of politics, of background. And so discipleship takes it to a Totally different level because Jesus is really calling his disciples that um, that they might reach the world, right? That they might reach everyone, that they might reach all people groups, and so in order to do that, um, they have to be willing to do what he does in Philippians two. They have to be willing to, to this kenosis passage. They have to be willing to empty themselves yeah. of their rights, their privileges, their positions. Um, similarly to what he does with with the uh, woman, uh, the Samaritan woman in John four, right? They have to be willing to empty themselves of all those things in order to engage, in order to interact, in order to really build relationships so that she might then go back and share the yeah. gospel with other people. Yeah. But in order to do that, there has to be a self-emptying. And so the discipleship side of this is understanding the self-emptying, the understanding that, that this is this is a mandate from scripture, but it is also one that God invites us into, mm-hmm. right? So the challenge sometimes in having this conversation is, Uh, Once someone um, understands this, the temptation is to demand it right? The temptation is to demand racial reconciliation, to demand that we have this conversation. And at some level, we need to be having that conversation. But what Jesus does, it's very different. He invites us in, right? He doesn't (laughs) demand it. He invites us into it. And one of the critical turning points, um, Wayne Schmidt, who was the pastor for about 30 years at Kentwood, one of the distinguishing turning points, I think, for him was when he took the posture with Kentwood Community Church and the leaders to say, you know what, I'm going on this journey. And I I invite you to go on it with me. That is that is a discipleship uh, invitation. Mm. That is that is a transformative experience that doesn't come by force but comes by invitation. And it is it is one that requires the presence of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> it is one that requires a level of commitment, it is a one that requires people are willing to step outside of their comfort zones. And so um so So there's that piece of it, which is the individual. But I think the even more pressing piece of it is the understanding that that individual transformation should lead to the transformation of systems, should lead to the transformation of structures. Because if we only look at it from the context of me individually being transformed, then we never address the systems. The, The systems are actually what perpetuate. Um, some of the oppression and some of the segregation well systems
1: in in another way I mean another thought of that is or aspect of that is culture I mean just I always say when I talk with people culture wins out I mean you can Mm -hmm. take a really great person you put them in a dysfunctional culture Mm -hmm. and over time they're going to become dysfunctional Mm -hmm. you can take someone who's dysfunctional you put them in a functioning culture and over time if that culture wins out. They might be, oh, Unless they're just yep. stuck in their ways, they're going to they're eventually ch- change. Yep. And so there's got to be culture shifts. There's got to be system shifts. What does that really mean for the church, though? I mean, what, what yeah. do, when you talk about systems changing from a practical standpoint, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, I think it means, um, like, you know, it, it starts with the individual, right? So um, think about it this way, and, and, and then it evolves. So um, you can't have a multi ethnic church unless you have multi ethnic people. Mm. Right now, I'm not just talking about diversity in terms of race and ethnicity. I'm talking about um, the the understanding of how important this is biblically and that people have made that a part of their lives. So I am not only uh, passionate about this, but I have made a commitment to build multi-ethnic DNA where, where I sit with people who are different from me. I build relationships with people who are different from me. I learn from people who are different from me. I sit at other people's feet. I'm willing to be Taught and mentored by someone who's not of the same ethnicity as me, and when you when you start to have those relationships with people, now you have a name that's connected to what might have been earlier an issue, right? <laughs> so now Jose- you watch the news differently, so like Exactly. So big. now it's not just immigration. Now it's it's Jose's family, yeah. right? Now it's not just an issue of mass incarceration, but it's Johnny's uh, yeah. life at yeah. stake, right? Um, and so we we begin to see those systems differently. And we engage them thinking about people we have relationship with, rather than uh, a soundbite from the media. And so, like even when you look at scripture, um, the the church in Jerusalem was very different than the church in Antioch, right? The church in Antioch uh, was multi ethnic. It was missional. It was multiplying. It was someone even argue it was mega, um, but it was multi ethnic and reached out in a multi ethnic way. Not because it was the cool thing to do, but because they were multi ethnic, right? Yeah. They were going back in, to to reach. Their families, and it's because it, it mattered to yeah. them. And the challenge, a lot of times in our churches, is we're so disconnected uh, relationally um, that we we don't see the other as family. We don't see the other as made in the imago day, made in the image of God.
1: Yeah, As I'm listening to you talk, I, I mean, obviously, uh, issues of race, uh, skin color, all those kinds of things, those are issues that are going to be dealt with, but it mm. sounds to me like you're saying, we're talking about a, a deeper issue. We're talking mm. about what does it really mean to be the church? Yes. I mean, you, you, you're never going to fix those issues unless you go to, to the deeper level of, you, you're you not going to be the church until you're really relational, until mm-hmm. you're really hospitable. Yeah. You're not going to be the church until you, because I mean, let's face it, it's not just racial issues that might divide people, it's socioeconomic issues mm-hmm. are, are, are big dividers, or or just, you know, cultural background, uh, uh, educational issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see those things often being as much of a dividing line in the church as anything else, but... Mm-hmm. it. What I'm hearing you say is it goes down to the deeper level of, are we really going to be a connected community? is, Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Because part of what happens is when you personally have that transformation and then you're involved in systems that perpetuate oppression and segregation and a hierarchy, um, then you become, you have a, hopefully a righteous indignation, yeah. <laughs> a holy discontent that compels you to challenge the systems, which is what Jesus did. Yeah. Like Jesus constantly challenged the systems, right? He challenged the systems, even in his own religio- religiosity, like things that were part of his own culture. He yeah. challenged them when they devalued people.
1: Yeah, John 4, he's sitting down <laughs> with this woman, and everybody comes up and, what are yeah. the world is he doing? He breaks
0: the rules yeah. when it devalues people. And so what happens so often, though, in our churches and sometimes in our systems and the culture we create is we devalue people, but we don't pay attention. Right? It's almost as if that's not a priority. There are other things that have become more important Mm. than the value of people's lives, that that, um, what's happening with this family or what's happening in this community or what's happening with this group of people. Uh, We don't pay attention to because there's something else, uh, as we were just talking about in the session earlier, there's something else we become preoccupied with. Right. And that 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 preoccupation takes so much of our time and our attention that that we lose track of what the gospel really is about. And it's really about transforming people. All people, yeah, and not just people we agree with, not just people we we uh, vote with, but everybody, and that is a great challenge in the church. And so, what happens sometimes is is I get confronted with this question all the time. Well. Is, isn't the gospel enough right like isn't the gospel like what you're talking about seems to be um a, you know outside of the gospel it seems to be periphery to it's the gospel. An add-on it's, yeah, it's a, an yeah. add-on it's this justice stuff and and um and what i say to folks in response is yes the gospel we see in scripture is enough <laughs> but the westernized version of the gospel that we've sometimes employs it's never enough. It'll always be substandard to what we see in scripture until we really embrace the full gospel. Like what Jesus lived out where he he spent more time with the people, he spent more time with people that the Pharisees and the, Saris, uh, the Sadducees avoided, right? Those yeah. those are the people he spent most time with. And the question becomes like, how are we living our lives? Are we spending more time with church folk? <laughs> yeah. or are we, are we spending more time with the oppressed and the marginalized and the, the people who are far from God? Sometimes Sometimes we, we we make church this club and this organization that um, is very powerful but is very segregated and and so um, what what the power of, of multi ethnic ministry is not having a group of 5,000 who who uh, kind of pretty much think the same, kind of hang out in the same places, go to the same schools, work in the same areas. But maybe you have 500 that when you when you dismiss a, a church service, they go back to all of these different areas of society, yeah. from from homeless to, to senators to business owners to teachers to construction workers, um, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, uh, Native, um, people from different parts of the diaspora and all over the world. And so the influence is much greater. And the impact is much greater um, because you you reach a different uh, level of, of of people than having the same group of people in in a large in a large setting. So you
1: know what that sounds to me like it sounds to me like Revelation chapter seven. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and the Lamb. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the. That's the vision towards which the church is journeying, right? Yeah. And so at some level, if we're gonna be kingdom people who have an influence in our world, we've gotta be exemplifying that yeah. here and now. Yeah. Okay, so so you've been tasked in your denomination with helping make that happen, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you say to a church like a you know, I I look at P, you know, Peace Church Middleville, Michigan. You mm-hmm. know, I mean we we're for our area we're a big church. God's grown us, God's done a lot of good things. But, I mean, we have, I think it's, you know, I think the when you, when you talk about culture, you're talking about a radically monolithic, homogenous type culture. Mm-hmm. Um, how When you, you know, churches in rural areas, or you've got churches where there's stark socioeconomic divides, say a church says, come in here, and we, we care about this, we want this. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. What do you say to a local church when you when you when you come in? What are some of the things that they can do to practically implement this grand vision that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, I think first of all, like understanding that um, multi ethnic ministry is not just uh, multi ethnic people; it is a multi ethnic paradigm. Whoa, okay. Right, and so if I'm in a rural setting, if I'm a setting that maybe doesn't have like I've been to different parts of of North America. Uh, you know, I was in South Dakota uh, recently, and the only thing that was brown in certain parts of South Dakota were, were cows, right? Like, it, like the people were white. And um, and so, they're, they're, that kind of geographical uh, reality, I understand. But I say to it, folks, like, you can't wait. Like, my mom used to always say, you can't wait until company gets here to prepare.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Right? Like, you can't start, you know, fixing up the house and making up your bed and cleaning up the kitchen when they get here. You you have to prepare before they arrive mm-hmm. and so part of what we 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 want people to understand from this whole um, sense of understanding hospitality is we need to be preparing before we interact with people and so that is having a multi-ethnic paradigm that is the books we read the movies we watch the conversations we have the podcasts we listen to the um, the, the the journals and the articles that we're, we're reading um, the the news stations that we watch right all those things that will give us a lens into a different world view that then says that my view is not the only view and it's not the most important view that there are other ways of seeing the world and seeing scripture and seeing uh, faith um, lived out that I must learn to embrace understand and appreciate I may not always agree with it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well, right. I mean this is exact I mean this goes back to what you said at the, at the top is is uh, you know this great this called a self emptying mm-hmm I don't think there's any true wisdom hmm. to be had unless you're willing to admit you don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, God is uh, uh, when you when you come into the presence of a sovereign God who yeah. sees all things, including us. I think that that's the moment with the when you if you have a true fear of the Lord, you're you're hopefully willing to admit. Well, mm-hmm. you will be willing to admit. Mm-hmm. I don't have it. I don't have it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things we can do. Because we mm-hmm. tend, human beings in our sinful nature, we tend to be very tribal. Yep. We p- tend to be very self-reinforcing. Yep. We tend to have a confirmation bias. Absolutely, We only want to listen to the people who say it the way we say it. Mm-hmm. And we find it very difficult to open our hearts to other stories.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the cool thing about Jesus is like there's the self, self-emptying, which is really important to remember but then there's this other reality that Jesus like Jesus sets down his power his privilege his authority when it's not going to help right like when it's when it's going to negatively impact the relationship what he's there to do he sets it down but when it is going to help he picks it up and I he think he speaks with authority he speaks with authority he heals he he uh he does all those things that will that will help the situation um and so the question becomes when do I need to set down those things, like one of those things getting in the way, right? And when do I need to pick up those things in order to advance the gospel, in order to, to leverage my influence, to leverage my, my privilege? Like one of my friends talks about it this way, Julian Julia Newman. He's a pastor up in uh, Rockford, Michigan. He, he, he picks up a bottle of water and he says, you know, I, I came into this room and somebody gave me one of these. And uh, what, I, what I don't always realize is that I have water privilege, Right. Like I have water privilege that I have access to water uh, so easily and uh, that much of the world does not have that privilege. Like there are people who walk miles and suffer greatly to just get dirty water. And here I am walking into the room and can access clean water easily. And uh, and privilege is that way. Like mm-hmm. privilege is often something you're not aware of until someone makes you aware of it. Um, and it's not that you've done something bad or that you're you're a bad person because you have water privilege. It's just that you have access to something that other people may not readily have access to. The question becomes not so much the the. Um, the uh, questioning of what you have—the the issue is what do you do with it? Like, what do I do with this privilege? What do I do with what I have access to? And that's the better question. It, it's kind of like with the the Good Samaritan, right? Like he comes to Jesus and he he asks these great questions, and Jesus says, you know, he tells this story, and because um, he's asking him, you know, uh, well, who Who's is my, my who is yeah. my neighbor? And, <laughs> and um, Jesus tells this elaborate story about the you know what we call the Good Samaritan, and um, and he Jesus really doesn't even answer. His question, right? <laughs> like he, he then comes back comes back to him and asks him who is the neighbor in the story, and so the guy says that the, the Samaritan is. But what Jesus is really saying to him is go be a neighbor. Yeah, he, he doesn't want him to get into this whole you know uh, you know intellectual debate about who a neighbor is and who is my neighbor in my community. He's saying go be one and um, use and your that, power. Yeah, leverage what yeah. you have, leverage what you have access to to be the best neighbor you. You can. What mm-hmm. this person in the story was is a good neighbor so I would say we almost need to change it from good Samaritan to good neighbor right yeah, or yeah. you could change it to bad Christian <laughs> right? right all the people who walk by yeah, all the yeah, people yeah, yeah. who you know uh, who you know uh, Dr. King on the, the night before he was killed in, in Memphis he tells his story from the you know he preaches from the mountaintop uh, yeah. message and he asked the question like is, is it really about me like the the, the people who walk by the Levite and and whatsoever they walk by because they were asking the question if I stop to help what will happen to me The better question that the Samaritan asked is, if I don't stop to help, what will happen to them, right? That's the question we need to be asking. How do I be a neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but how do I be one?
1: Well, that's beautiful, brother. Yeah, Yeah. this this really does get to the fundamental call of the gospel, which is is rooted in hospitality. It's Mm. rooted in the fact that we've been radically welcomed Mm. by a God who... We yeah. didn't have any claim on him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if you if you think of anybody who, who had no uh, mm. no claim on the father, no claim on God, no claim to hospitality, mm. no claim to covenant, no claim to relationship, we were only in the red with mm. him. Mm. And he didn't stop and say, "Well, when you can when you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, then I'll help you." He yeah. says, "I'm going to come into this situation right yeah. here and now, make a way for us to be reconciled." And that's what I'm hearing is, I mean. Mm. any any kind of position any kind of power any kind of conviction any kind of place that we have is given to us not for ourselves it's given to us to make a way Mm -hmm. for others to to encounter Christ
0: yeah Yeah. and and it's hard you know it's you know you asked the question about what can a church do or what can leaders do like there are multiple resources I would recommend like yeah
1: I, actually I'd love to end yeah. with our time with that would it, yeah how, like give me some some practical things that we can we can turn
0: to yeah yeah so there's a resource called um, multi-ethnic conversations okay it's written by uh, Mark DeMaz and Onia Akube Mark's um, a great guy he's good people yeah. uh, I was just texting him coming in and um, and th- there's this it's basically an eight week uh, series uh, or you can use it as a small group cur- curriculum, leader curriculum, you can use it as a sermon series. You know, you you decide how you're going. To, you can use it as kind of individual devotion, the way it's written. Yeah. But it helps walk people through the theology, the cultural issues, the uh, relational issues. Each day has a different focus.
1: And say the name of that again.
0: A uh, multi ethnic conversations. Multi, ethnic conversations. And so a lot of our churches. Um, so we have it as kind of a book study that we do with cohorts. Um, An individual church can do it. Some ch- some leaders there they think their church is not ready, so they do it with other pastors in the city first. Um, but we do it as uh, a book cohort through zoom and so we use the okay. zoom platform and folks from all over the uh, North America jump on uh, in this small group setting is that with the Wesleyan Church that you're doing we, d- that? we actually allow people who are outside of the Wesleyan Church to be a okay. part of it too okay cool and um, and so that's one way to use it is kind of this you know um, virtual meeting another way to do it is kind of a weekend retreat like some some churches decide to go like a Friday night all day Saturday and kind of dive into the concepts uh, something we call our learning lab, where you actually do it on site somewhere at a multi-ethnic church or a church in general retreat center, and you walk through the material. But it's, it's, it's great at uh, kind of the entry point to the conversation. Wonderful. Uh, another resource is Daniel Hill's uh, Wide Awake. Okay. Uh excellent book on just um white privilege, white fragility. Uh he walks through this process of, you know, being at Willow and then planning a church in downtown Chicago and having all of the thoughts and the understanding of being a multi-ethnic church, but when the church launched, it was all white. <laughs> <laughs> and this place where, you know, he had he had all the numbers and great turnout, but there was something in him that just was frustrated. How and does this happen? Like, how yeah. did this happen, right? This is not what I intended to do when the, there's diversity all around me, but only the people that are coming are white. And so he walks through what he learned, right, by going to the people of color in the community, going to other pastors in the area, and them really helping to reshape um, kind of who he was as a leader. And it's just a great book awesome. um, called White Awake. And that's another resource we use. Um, there are some resources that just have just come out that I, that I highly recommend. Uh, as well, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Uh, there are several books by Sung Chan Ra, um, The Next Evangelicalism, uh, Corey Edwards' uh, The Elusive Dream, um, books like that that we've used. Um, awesome. Roadmap to Reconciliation by Brenda Salter McNeil. So we use those resources as ways to dive in, as kind of an entry point. And then it's something that, that the church or the individual can take back to their context and replicate. Yeah, because right? we want it to multiply. We want uh, we want people who experience those kinds of cohorts or those kinds of learning labs or book studies to then take them back to their context or take them back to their families and dive in, in that space. And hopefully it multiplies.
1: Boy, that's awesome, brother. Man, I I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us about this. Um, mm-hmm. I think anybody who wants to build an outreach community has to reckon with this as an, mm-hmm. as a, as a core component of what it means to really proclaim the gospel. Yeah. In our in our divided world today, yeah. it's gonna take it's gonna take a move of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Because mm-hmm. it's a spiritual issue. Yeah. So uh, you know, with that in mind, would you mind uh, closing us out in prayer and just yeah. praying for for those who are listening? That, that the Lord will move hearts.
0: Absolutely, Father. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, God. We just um... We appreciate how you have used Adam and this podcast to bless so many. And God, this topic is a difficult one. And God, we know there are people who are listening that are fully engaged. There are some that are, are just wondering, like, what this means for me and how do I go back and apply this? And will this even work? And um, God, I just pray that you would remind them that this is simply uh, about reconciling people to God and reconciling people to people. And uh, God, you know uh, their context. You know their needs. Uh, you know their concerns. You know what they're up against. Uh, in the spaces um, that you give, have given them influence. But God, I pray that you would uh, go before them, that you would prepare the way, that you'd open doors that no man could shut, uh, that you uh, would allow them to interact in ways that, that they would grow, that they would be transformed um, by the relationships you place before them. Give them courage uh, to step outside of their comfort zone. Um, give them boldness um, to take risks. And um, God, we know that some of that will uh, will be individual relationships. Some of that will be confronting the systems and the structures within their own churches or within their own city and community. But God, whatever it may be, uh, we, we entrust all of that to your capable hands, and we ask you to guide them, lead them, direct them. And God, in the end, when we look back, uh, we'll, we'll be able to say, look at what the Lord has done. Yes. So uh, yes. we trust you with all that, and uh, we commend it to the power of your grace. In Jesus' name, we pray.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Santis. Amen. Thank you. God man. bless you, brother. Bye. I Hope you enjoyed that. I hope it was inspiring to you. I want to challenge you right now. Um, A lot of times it's easy to listen to something and then let it pass. Take a moment, pause, and pray that the light of the gospel would shine forth a new kind of unity and create a new kind of community uh, for the church and our world so that people around us will know through the way that we love one another that there's something unique. Goodbye. God bless. I want to also encourage you. Help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, (laughs) this is Adam Barr reminding you, Make time to share God's life today.